welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. It's really an honor to be here, and um, I so I, I think back to when I first met Pastor Joe and Nancy. It was many, many years ago. Um, I was a missionary in the Philippines, and like missionaries do, I was living on a barely existing budget. And through an old friend, I was connected with Joe, and they said, this is a generous man who believes in world missions, and he might partner with you. And we went... um, we were at some cabin somewhere, it seems like, and I think you came in from a baseball game. It was like probably a Little League baseball game uh, from, from Joe, who I don't think was Joe at the time. Uh, and um, I remember sitting out there, and just there was a, one of those divine connections when I first met Pastor Joe. This church, I don't think existed yet. I think it was in your mind of what this might become. And um, So we met because of world missions, and then we've been in Europe and Asia, many places together doing ministry, and from the very beginning, this church was a very generous partner for my wife and I when we were living as missionaries in Asia, and and thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Whatever we did, it was, we were enabled to do it because of generous churches like this, even when this was a brand new church that this, we're not even in this building uh, you guys were supporting us. And so I, I've always appreciated that about Joe and Nancy, their heart for lost and their heart for the world. Um, it's been a real refreshing blessing for me to be here with you. Um, this is the first Sunday of the year. Um, I don't know if you're a resolution type of person. I'm not. Uh, if you are, it's okay. Um, I don't know if you're a goal setter. I'm not. Um, my wife sets enough goals for our whole family. She's a goal machine, and she exceeds them all every time. Uh, I did set goals one time years ago. We got our whole family together and set goals, and I don't know what I did with that piece of paper. I have no idea what they were or if I achieved any of them. Um, so if you're like me, and you're not a goal setter, and you're not, uh, you're not a, a planner, and you're not a, a resolution person... I'm glad to meet you. If you're the other, that's great too. Either way, I think I have a word from God for you to start this year. And hopefully, whether you lose your notes from today or even take them, this time next year, some wonderful things will have happened. Um, so I want to look at one simple text. Usually when I preach, I read a long text. Uh, But I want to read one simple verse and focus on three words that I think will really start this year in a great way, all right? So I'm going to ask you to stand with me in respect to God's word, and I want to read Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. So if you're not, if you're like me and didn't spend a lot of time in church growing up and you Usually, by the time I found the text, the pastor was finished preaching it. So it looks like this. So get about that much of your Bible, and you'll find Galatians, all right? Or you can just pull your phone out and pretend you got a Bible on there. All right. Okay. 419. And if none of that works, I think we're on the screen behind me. 419. My little children, for whom I am again 
in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's such a short text. Let's read it again. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. All right, this is God's word. I'm praying the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to us through the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The Galatian people, when we read Galatians, this was a group of churches. It wasn't one city. It was sort of a region, sort of like Texas, okay? This is to all the churches in Texas. It wasn't nearly this big. But this is a group of churches, and the Galatians were a Celtic people. About 300 B.C. that migrated to this area, which is central Turkey, uh, where Galatia is. It's uh, what would be, uh, I'll probably mispronounce it, Ankara, Ankara. What, in central Turkey, these were Celtic people, which means they were uh, the whitest of white people in a sea of brown people. They were idolaters. They were, had a completely different religion, culture, values. Uh, uh, everything about them was as far from what you read about in Old Testament Jewish people as you could possibly imagine. So now we're in the New Testament days. And Paul and these, these churches have been pioneered from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And now here we are in central Turkey with these people that are as different from the Jews as you could possibly imagine. They've become Christians, but they're not Jewish. They have a very different, whether it's dietary laws, what they eat, the Jewish people didn't eat. There was, uh, the, the way they did life was so different. And there were Jews who heard these people became Christian, Jewish believers from Jerusalem who would come into Galatia and say, okay, I know you know Jesus, but you can't eat that barbecue. We don't do that. And you can't mix your fabrics and you can't all these holy days and different things. And, and there was a clash going on. And there was a push of Jewish Christians trying to get these Galatian people to be more like Jews. And Paul, who was a Jew of Jews, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, oddly enough, didn't side with the Jewish Christians. And he writes this letter to try to clarify some of what's going on, there's a pressure to become more Jewish. And Paul writes and puts a pressure that was entirely not that on something else. We'll see what that was in this text. Okay, that's what's going on. So, so often in Paul's letters, he starts by talking about, usually it's 50-50. The beginning of Paul's letters are always about right belief and right thinking. Then he finally gets to the application, right living and right doing. And so in chapter 1, he's trying to clarify there are a lot of wrong gospels out there. In chapter 1, he talks about there's a different gospel that's been preached. Gospel just means good news. There's, you've heard a little bit of the real gospel, but you've heard other stuff. That's not the gospel. It's a different gospel. Then he goes on and says there's a distorted gospel that's a little bit blurry. Then he says there's a contrary gospel. And then he ends chapter 1 with talking about man's gospel. Chapter 2, he now goes to what he calls the gospel. The gospel, and it is all about faith. It is about putting our trust not in what we do for God, but putting our trust in what God does for us. 
That's how the Christian life starts. That's the middle of the Christian life. That's the end of the Christian life. Everything about the Christian The gospel is not just something that saves us. The gospel, a lot of us think we're saved by the gospel, but we're sanctified by our own good works. It is faith in what Christ did on the cross that saves us, faith in what Christ did on the cross that changes us, faith in what Christ did for us that sanctifies us. And so that's what Paul's clarifying in chapter 2. Chapter 3 is all about faith. He says we're a people of faith. We're justified by faith. We live by faith. We're adopted as sons and daughters by faith. And there's all this by faith, through faith, with faith, because of faith, all through chapter 3. And so he spends three chapters adjusting wrong thinking, putting in right thinking, right doctrine, right theology. Now he starts getting into behavior. Right belief produces right behavior. But we tend to focus today in the church on behavior, behavior. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Don't even think about doing that. When we need to go Paul's way, how are we thinking? What are we believing? So now we get to chapter 4, and he explains the why for everything he's done. Why? And I think about that. It might answer everything about this church. I think the text we're looking at, Galatians 4.19, if I can... Be so bold and dare say this, Pastor Joe. Everything this church does is answered the why in this text. You wonder why there's a presence week? Some of you were here. Some of you are here for part of it, all of it. You wonder why? It's in this verse. There's a reason. Why did we sing songs? It's not so that the late people can get here before and hear the sermon. It's not a prelim. There's something going on while we sing Worship is a combination. We worship God in singing. We worship God in sermon. We worship God in the way we listen to his word being preached. I worship God in the way I preach. We worship God in sacrament. We had communion. There's something spiritual, deeply spiritual going on through the physical wine and bread. Why do we do this? What's happening? Why do we have other branches and buy buildings and renovate buildings. What are we after? What are we really doing? Why missions? Why help the poor? What's the end we're after? What are we trying to see happen? What do we hope happens? It's right here in this verse. Why we do all of this. Here it is. That Christ would be formed in you. We sing so that Christ would be formed in you. We preach so that Christ would be formed in you. We do kids' ministries so that Christ would be formed inside of them. See, these Jewish people were trying to form new Jews who believed in Christ. No, no, you can't eat like this. Here's our Jewish culture. They were forming something else, and Paul's going, no, 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 it's not that. There's a distorted gospel. There's a false gospel. There's a man's gospel. There's a wrong gospel. There's a different gospel. But let me tell you what this is all about. It is that Christ would be formed in you. Not that you would be conformed to a church culture. There's a lot of that that happens in church. We conform to a church culture and we do the things when we're around the right people and we seem Christian. But the real question, the real goal, the real hope is that Christ is formed inside of us. Now, formation is an interesting word right here. That word formed, I'm not, I, I, 
I'm not going to try to Greek you to death this morning, but that word formed, the original word there is our English word metamorphosis. It's an internal to external change. And what happens in metamorphosis, we're going to go back to grade six, okay? Grade six biology. I have a picture of this is what formed, when Paul uses that word, that Christ is formed. Oh, those look like sheep. I need a butterfly and a frog. There, ah. This is metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is when a tadpole turns into a frog, when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, when a Christian has Christ formed inside. The tadpole is not working hard. The tadpole is not just, he's not going to school to learn how to do this. It's, it's miraculous. Metamorphosis happens among amphibians, rep, let's see, amphibians and insects and Christians. This is what Paul's saying. I'm again in the anguish, the pain of childbirth until metamorphosis happens in your life. And you go from sinner to saint. You go from child of darkness to child of God. You go from darkness to light. There's a transformation. You go from fishers of fish to fishers of men. This transformation. Now, when I think about that transformation or just change, there's, a, there's an easy word, change. How many of you would like to see some things change in your life this year? By this time next year, you, you'd like to have some things different. How does that happen? Please don't raise your hand, but how many of you like to see some change in your spouse? Don't, don't respond. Your kids, your grandkids, your community, your campus. We want to see change. Three ways to see that happen. Conform. Conform is like a jello mold. I don't, I don't know. My, my grandmother always had those jello molds for Christmas and Thanksgiving. It's, you pressure something into looking like whatever, you know, the turkey head or turkey or something. <laughs> Conform is external pressure. It's not the kind of change we want, but that's the kind of change that happens in a lot of church context. It's just external pressure. Reform. Reform is try harder. Reform is willpower. That's not what this is talking about at all. What it's talking about is transform transformation, and that is that metamorphosis process, internal to external, that Christ is formed, and the more Christ is formed deep in our soul, the more we act differently, we talk differently, we treat people in ways that we can't imagine treating them before. Things change, but it's not, I wish it were this simple. I wish we could have an altar call and say, who wants to be transformed and lay hands and pray and then boom we did that let's go on to the next thing it's not the way it happens now and i say that as a pentecostal charismatic whatever we call ourselves who really believes in the laying on of hands as a foundational doctrine of the church in hebrews but that's not how transformation happens the tadpole doesn't start hopping. There is a gradual metamorphosis that happens. Now, Paul lays out how it does. Three words. Three words. 
The first word is children. How does change happen? How is Christ formed in a person, in you and I? Number one is relationships. He says, little children. Paul grabs the most relational word he can possibly imagine. If you don't see what relationship is, just watch Nancy walk in with her grandkids. That's, Paul has this image, the most relational context you can possibly have, not adult children. Sometimes that relationship can be strained. Little children, when they think you know everything, okay? And when they figure out you don't later on, it's different. <laughs> Little children, we are transformed by the relationships we choose. I have the privilege in two weeks, I will be in a conference with a man who God used to transform my life in so many ways. He's 94 years old, still preaching the gospel all over the world, still traveling overseas and preaching with fire. I'll see him in a couple of weeks. I don't have time to tell you how much I was transformed over years of this man taking me under his wing and helping me become a better Christian a better husband, a better father. Yeah, a better preacher and a better pastor too, but those were secondary. God used that relationship. Can't wait to see him. You will be changed by the relationships you choose. Secondly, this word again. He says, I am again. Repetition. We are changed by the things we repeat. He says, I am again. In the end. It wasn't a one and done. This was a continual repetition. I have had a love-hate relationship with what's called spiritual disciplines for my whole Christian life. Um, I'm not, some of you are very disciplined. I'm allergic to discipline. Okay, I don't understand why people go in the gym and pick up heavy things. I don't get it. Um, but I was thrilled when I, a number of years ago, when I went back to school and back to seminary, they didn't have a thing on spiritual disciplines, which I was happy, but they tricked me. They had a course I took called Habits That Sustain Ministry. I love habits. I just don't like discipline, but I found out they're the same thing. Um, philosopher James K.A. Smith, if you... Um, if you haven't read any of his books, just pick one. It doesn't even matter which one. Just pick one up. And what you're going to hear, what he says repeatedly, he's a theology professor and philosopher. James K. Smith says, the things we do, do things to us. The things we do, do things to us. We've done things today that are doing things to us. When we come to church, it does something to us. When we sing songs of worship, it does something to us. When we raise our hands and surrender, what we do does something to us. When we bow our knees, doing that does something to us. When we hour after hour scroll TikTok, it does something to us. When we drowned ourselves in our favorite cable news entertainment, it does something to us. When we go to the gym, it does something to us. I think it wears out your heart and your muscles. <laughs> I mean, think about a car. It's not better the more miles you put on it. 
I believe my body's like that. The less of that I do, the better off. Now, I'm not, I'm not giving you health lessons. I'm just speaking for my own, my own truth. There's no such thing. But anyway, all right, I'm distracting myself. The things you do, do things to you. The repetition. Some of you grew up in a more liturgical church. And you go there and you heard the repetition of the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. And when you tried to run from God, you did those things so often they put a groove in your head like a rut and you could not get away from it because you did it, the repetition, over and over and over. And unfortunately, some of us have called that dead religion, but what we called that dead religion did something deep in our souls. And it's the reason some of you are here today worshiping God. Because you were forced in repetition that did something to you. Repetition. He says, I'm again. That cry. Why? What's the point of the repetition of communion in the song and no, whatever? All we, it's that Christ would be formed in us. Finally, he says, until... I am again in the anguish of childbirth until. How are we changed? Relationships, repetition, and resolve. Until means I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep doing this until Christ is formed. Not until you get on my last nerve, and I can't take it anymore, my wife and I lived in the Philippines for 24 years. In the last 16 years, it's been back and forth. I've lost count of how many perfect opportunities we had to quit. I'm just grateful that we never wanted to quit on the same day. Joe, you guys ever had an opportunity to quit this and just go back to whatever you were doing before you became a pastor? Anybody had just, yes. what a great opportunity. There's never been a better opportunity to quit. When people talk to me as a pastor about that, here's what I go. I, I listen, I lean in, and I say, I agree with you. This is a great chance to quit. I get it. Quit your marriage, quit your business, quit the church. Yeah, the church is this and all the things we want to quit. Yeah. Just do this one thing. Quit tomorrow. Let's talk about it tomorrow. Then they come back. I want to quit. I get it. Just put it off one more day. Today is never a good day to quit. Tomorrow is always the best day to quit. So my wife and I did that for 24 years in the Philippines. <laughs> we just put off quitting one more day. Resolve. We're in this until Christ is formed. I want to end with this thought. Paul picked an interesting metaphor here. I'm again, what? In the pain, I think the NIV says, of childbirth. The ESV says in the anguish of childbirth. Now, Childbirth is relatively sanitized today compared to that. Now, I don't know the anguish of childbirth, okay? I only know the rumors or the pain. I, I don't. Fortunately, when my sons were born in the Philippines, they did not allow men back there. Uh, that was my salvation. Um, 
because I would have been in the ER if I had been forced to be there. Back in this day when scripture, they didn't have pain meds. They didn't have hospitals. And many of them lived in tents or stone houses with open windows and you could hear the anguish of childbirth. There were small villages and you knew when childbirth was happening. Now it's behind doors, back in a sanitized, soundproof thing, and, and, and pain meds are available. Not then. So here's Paul picking in their day what was the most painful thing he could possibly imagine. And he's using that metaphor to describe what we call discipleship what we call sanctification, uh, what we call walking with God, what, what he's saying here, Christ being formed. He just picked the, the most uh, agonizing, pain-filled thing he could imagine. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, nobody's smiling as we think about this. Um, not only was it painful, Paul is saying this, if you wanna be like Christ, it's gonna be painful not only that, there's a good chance you'll die. Um, today, the maternal mortality rate worldwide, so in, a, in Dallas, Texas, it's not even close to this, but worldwide right now, the maternal, that means the moms who die giving birth, it's about 20 out of 100,000. Here, I imagine it's like .001 out of 100,000, but we take the whole world in those days, it was more than 2,000, around 2,500 per 100,000. So most of these people knew someone who died giving birth. Most of us don't know someone like that. If you do, it's, a, it, it's horrible. Paul picks the most painful thing that might kill you and says, that's what the Christian life is. Okay? So what am I saying to start the year? This is a call to painful transformation. It is a call to something that might kill you metaphorically. But how many of you still want Christ formed in you? Yes. It's not easy. It's really not. It's a call to the cross. Paul is saying, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's admirable. And God's calling each of us to that. But... It's not just all about our relationships, our repetition, and our resolve. There's something supernatural and spiritual that's also involved. Paul used a metaphor of pain and death. Jesus lived the reality of pain and death. And he actually died and endured the pain and died so that he could come and live inside of us and start changing our hearts. So the call is this. Some of you need to get some relationships that help form Christ in you. Some of you need to step away from some relationships that deform you. <coughs> Who are the people that God uses to form Christ in you? Press into them this year. What are the things that you're repeating over and over and over that are deforming what God's trying to do in your heart 
And what are the things you should repeat over and over and over that are forming Christ? But most of all, is back to what he said in the beginning about the gospel. Let's put our trust. We do things. We need to do things. And good things will be done to us. But let's put our faith in what he's doing in us to transform us. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray, I pray for hope for those who have tried and tried and tried and tried harder to change. I pray for hope that you will transform us this year. Lord, thank you for your word. May it do its work in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, that was a fantastic word. Let's give Pastor Steve a big round of applause for that. Come on, let's all stand together. Let's all stand together, Trinity Church. You know, I, I just, I got this picture as, as you're preaching, wrapping things up, Pastor Steve. I felt like I was on uh, one of those Japanese bullet trains at the beginning of the service. Just everything's calm and smooth. We're going like 300 miles an hour. And I had this idea to open up the window to listen to Pastor Steve's message. And I just got this blast of air trying to take it all in. I mean, that what we just experienced was a message from apostle in the body of Christ full of transformative power. If we will just absorb and review and listen again and take these things to heart, not only we, but those we know and love will be transformed as a result. What a powerful message we just heard. I'm telling you, I've heard a lot of messages and this is one of the best I've ever heard about how to live for Jesus and finish strong. This message will be on our YouTube site. Be sure and go back. I took six pages of notes and I can't wait for the next service when he comes back again at 11 o'clock. What a powerful message. So let's do this together. Let's finish and ask the Holy Spirit to help us take away today that one or two things that we personally need. And then I'm gonna ask him to remind you to go back to this message again, circle back, because there's more for each and every one of us after today. There's more. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the message and the ministry of Pastor Steve and his wife and his family. And as we've absorbed just a, just a taste of the message today, help it to resonate with us. I'm asking you for myself and every person in this room, everybody that's watching online, that you would take that one nugget, that, those two truths, and let them rest heavy on our hearts today. Don't let, don't let the football game wash away what we heard. Don't let the cares and the concerns of work tomorrow wash away what's what's been delivered to us today. We pray these seeds will go down deep into our hearts and our souls and will bear much fruit. But we need you to do that, Holy Spirit. We give you permission to come and water the seeds that were planted. Help us to take these truths and apply them to our lives and live them out in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And we're not even gonna have a ministry time at the front. We're not gonna pray for anybody because this is for each and every one of us today, including me. Aren't you glad you came to Trinity today? Isn't God good? Let's give him a praise worthy of his name. And I pray that you will go out today and live the truth that we're learning all the rest of 2024. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. And don't be afraid to come back at 11 o'clock to hear this again if you need it like I do. Amen. God bless you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. 
Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas. God bless.